Since before they were born, the twins, Jacob and Esau, have been contending with one another. Their rivalry continues as Esau chooses to give up his birthright to Jacob. A reading from the book of Genesis. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Pada Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was found game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The word of the Lord. Please rise and praise God by responsibly reading a portion of the Psalm 119, which is found on page 3 of your leaflet. Your word is a lantern to my feet and a light upon my path. I have sworn and am determined to keep your righteous judgments. I am deeply troubled. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing tribute of my lips, and teach me your judgments. My life is always in your hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not strayed from your commandments. Your decrees are my inheritance forever. Truly, they are the joy of my heart. I have applied my heart to fulfill your statutes forever and to the end. 
Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Paul tells believers that we will find true freedom in our lives when we are committed to following the Holy Spirit's guidance rather than giving in to our selfish desires. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Christians at Rome. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on the path. The birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly. Since they had no depth of soil, since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root 
but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arise on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Jacob and Esau struggle against each other in the womb before their birth, and they continue to struggle after. The struggle will continue most of their life, but in time there is resolve. And the event of resolve between the two, Jacob and Esau, is powerful. But before that resolve, something of the struggle. The mother of Jacob and Esau is barren, Rebekah. Isaac, her husband, prays to the Lord that she will conceive. God, who answers Isaac's hears and answers Isaac's prayers, does so to the end that Rebekah does conceive. There are twins conceived and to be born. But in the womb, they struggle so that Rebekah goes and complains to God, if this is the way it has to be, why do I live? Or translated, if this is the way it has to be, just let me die. The struggle of the two must have been, been uh, powerfully strong. Caused Rebecca great discomfort and distress for her to be willing to die rather than to go full term. The struggle of the two must have caused Rebecca great distress and discomfort for her to even consider ending what she wanted most. Children. The Lord God tells Rebecca that there are two nations in her womb, one which will be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. So Rebecca endures, perseveres, and the two are born. Esau was born first, but then Jacob was born, gripping the heel of his brother Esau. In a sense, the both were born at the same time. Two born as one. It is important of the struggles that will continue. Sure enough, there were tensions between the two boys as they grew up. Esau was a hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac feared Esau because he was a man of the fields. Rebekah favored Isaac because he was always the son at her side. I've been told that parents shouldn't make choices and have favorites. But Rebekah and Isaac did. 
and maybe that helped to feed the fires of, of discontent between, between the two. Once when Jacob was cooking a stool, was this a manly task in his day and time? He was cooking a stew, and Esau came in, the, came in from the fields and was famished. Esau asked for a portion, but Jacob held it back unless Esau would swear to give his birthright up, the inheritance rights of the firstborn. And so Esau did. He said, if I die from, from being famished, what good are birthrights to me? And so he gave his birthright, firstborn birthright, up for lentil stew, a kind of red porridge, if you will. Birthrights of the firstborn gave that person a position of honor in the family and a double share of the portion inherited from the father. Double share. All other children, sons that is, received lesser portions, divided among all of them. Esau gave up his for a pot of stew. The struggle continues between the two. When Isaac is about to die, he asks Esau to go out, hunt game, and prepare some kind of appetizing dish for him that he may eat of it and then give Esau his blessing before he dies. Rebecca overhears the conversation and she prepares a dish for Jacob to give for Jacob to give to his father, disguises Jacob with Esau's clothing and with goat skin which he, she puts on his arms and his hands and the back of his neck. Because you see, Esau was a hairy man. Jacob was a smooth man. Isaac, nearly blind, is not sure that this is Esau. First, this son got the game and prepared the dish, the savory dish, all too quickly. Then he sounded like Jacob and didn't sound like Esau when he talked. But the smell of Esau's clothes and the heavy-haired arms and hands and the heavy hair at the base of his neck assured Isaac. And so he eats the meaty dish prepared for him and then gives his blessing to the second-born. When Esau comes to his father with the dish that he had prepared, both realize the deceit. The blessing has been given and there is no more blessing to give to him. That had been given to Jacob. Isaac had blessed Jacob and Jacob remains blessed. Upon hearing this, Esau burst into loud and bitter sobbing and protest that his brother had first taken away his birthright and now his blessing. He held such a grudge against his brother that he vows to kill Jacob after their father's death and after the official time, the appropriate time for mourning. Well, again, Rebecca hears his vow. She warns 
Jacob of Esau's intention, sends him off to live with her brother Laban in Haran, a distant land away. She also talks with Isaac about preventing some upsetting marriage between Jacob and some Canaanite woman. And so Isaac goes along with the plan for Jacob to leave and go and live with Laban. Years later, when both Esau and Jacob have prospered, Jacob returns to his homeland. Upon hearing that Esau is coming to him with 400 men, Jacob is frightened, rightfully so. He's so frightened he divides his entire camp into two. His strategy is that if Esau could attack and overcome one part of the camp, at least half of his camp and possessions are saved. Jacob sends gifts to his brother Esau, animals in separate droves to give the appearance of great abundance. He's trying to appease his brother with gifts. He might receive forgiveness and not retribution. When they finally meet, Jacob goes to Esau, bowing to the ground seven times as he proceeds to his brother. But then, and this is a very profound and surprising text, we're told in Genesis, Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, and fling himself on his neck, kissed his brother as he wept. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fling himself on his neck, kissed his brother as he wept. What does that sound like from the New Testament? Listen to this text from Luke's Gospel. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. What is that from in the New Testament? Prodigal son. Thank you so much. Prodigal son. The reunion of Jacob and Esau was a surprise to, hope, to those who heard that t- story and told it, as the reunion of the prodigal to his father was a surprise to those who heard that story and told it. In the end, both Esau and Jacob have changed. The years of separation have taken their toll, and nothing more is worth the separation. There's more to being gathered together, brother to brother, than being divided and dead to each other. I think that Jesus had the Jacob and Esau reunion in mind when he told the parable of the returning son to his father, the prodigal son. As the son in the gospel text, if you remember that story, had prepared his speech beforehand to make things somewhat better for himself than he expected or deserved. So Jacob does the same kind of thing. He does everything he can to make things somewhat better for himself than he expected or deserved. The father in our gospel receives his son back and restores him as a son in the household. Esau receives Jacob back as a brother in his homeland, as a member of the family. 
Separation gives rise to reconciliation, especially when the causes of the separation are nothing in comparison to the losses that occur, occur because of the separation. I believe that Jacob and Esau of the Old Testament point to a father and his lost son in the Gospels and both point to all of us God's children who are sometimes wayward and separated and lost in our own ways. Wayward and separated and lost in having to have our own way. You remember the Frank, Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way? I hate it, that song. I've been doing it my own way all my life. And it's done nothing but get me in trouble, if you will. I firmly believe that God will see us in the distance in God's day and run to us and embrace us and kiss us as surely as Esau ran to and embraced his brother Jacob, as surely as the father runs to and embraces his lost dead son. And he will say this of you as he runs and embraces you and kisses you and puts rings on your fingers and a robe around your shoulders. This one of mine was lost and is found, is dead and now is alive. Put rings on his fingers, the best robe around her shoulders, sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf for her and prepare the feast. That is what God has in store to say for you. nothing else matters. The feast for us, why it's the very Eucharist that we share in today, the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation. The clothes of belonging put on us, the robe around our shoulders, the righteousness of Jesus put on us in baptism. The fatted calf of our feast, it's Jesus, Lamb of God. His blood, the cup of salvation for us. His body, the bread of heaven for us. Jacob and Esau, an old man and his lost wayward son. Jesus, God, you, and me. The story from the beginnings up to now is always the same. Names change. The story is the same. And that's good. It's good that God is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for all of us. You and I are highly blessed to know that story and to know that it's about us. There are so many in our world, though, who hunger and thirst to hear it even for the first time and to know that it's about them. What are we going to do, that, do about that? We cast the seed and let it fall where it will. And some seeds fall in such a way, in such a place, that they produce nothing. But some seeds produce 30-fold, 60-fold, hundredfold. 
Casting the seeds is our work here at Advent Church. What you've always done and will do. The growing of the seeds into plants that produce a harvest is God's work. It's what God has always done, is doing, and will do. And there will be a high yield. It will be enough. Amen.